Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. Can you hear how excited I am? All right, I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I turned 50 on October the 14th. I'm an old man now. I got my AARP card. Uh, they've started sending me emails. I think I'm going to get about 10 or 11 magazines every year. Uh, but I was not here last year. I mean, last week. Uh, I was in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, celebrating ironically, the 50th anniversary of my birth chapter's founding. Uh, So we were down there at Norfolk State University, my alma mater, having a good time. But I have not had a chance to talk to you in a while. And I got to tell you this, uh, my church family blew me away. Uh, On October the 1st, they had a surprise party for me. They were all in cowboy gear. Uh, you know, if, if any of you know me, I used to do that when I was president of Phi Beta Sigma. I, I wore cowboy hats and cowboy boots. That's what I was known for, the black guy in the cowboy outfits. So they had, so everybody, we had about 275 people. You can hear we got a guest. I'm going to introduce in a minute. But we had about 275 people at this party all wearing cowboy hats and in western wear. It was outstanding. We had a great time. And then on the uh, Sunday the 9th, we had our men and women's Day and Reverend Dr. Benjamin Chavis uh, was in the house. He was our speaker. And after that, they had another dinner for me. And it was great to have him here to be a part of that. I'm done celebrating now. Now, I will be honest with you. uh, I was concerned about aging. 50 is mentally a milestone birthday. Uh, And I was concerned about aging, but when I got a chance to really sit down and collect myself, I stopped worrying about aging, and I started thanking God for the way he's allowed me to age. Come on, I'm ready to start preaching up in here today. Uh, I am thankful for all that he's brought me through uh, and all that he's done for me. Uh, And so I'm happy to be back today uh, for this October. I'm not even preaching in my pulpit all month. Uh, Today we had a guest preacher, my brother, Reverend Luke Nathaniel, Luke Mason, while I preached over at Gibson Temple Baptist Church. Next Sunday, Reverend Gill, Dwight Gill will be here. I'm going to be in East Orange preaching. I'm taking the month off and reflecting and thanking God, but I'm not leaving you. And I'm excited today for our show Because you know this, over the last several weeks, we have interviewed several of the city council members that have resigned their positions to seek the position of mayor of Philadelphia. 
We have interviewed Alan Dome, uh, my fellow collegiate wrestler. We interviewed Derek Green, uh, that, that, that member of Kappa Alpha Psi. And we've interviewed our representative right here in Frankfurt, uh, Maria Quinones Sanchez. And now, today, on this Sunday, we have the distinct privilege and honor of interviewing former Majority Leader Sherelle Parker. And, and, and I got I to gotta do this right. I got to give you an intro. She's Northwest Philly, born and raised. I don't know if she played in the playground where she spent most of her days, but, but she's Northwest <laughs> Philadelphia, born and raised. She was, from the age of 11, I love her story, and we're going to let her tell it, raised by her grandmother. She knows about Philly. She's been in these streets of Philly. She knows what's going on uh, here in Philadelphia. Uh, uh, she served in the PA House from 2005 to 2015. Yeah, I know your history. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, uh, she is a mentee of the legend, Marion Tasco. Uh, and then in 2015, she won Marion's seat uh, on the Philadelphia City Council. And in 2020, she became the majority leader. I want to welcome into the pastor's office for the first time, former majority leader of the Philadelphia City Council, Sherelle Parker. Come on in. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, Pastor Mason. And I'm telling you, this is my my first time here with the 100.7 FM family uh, here in Frankfurt. Want to say a special thank you to you for giving a little black girl from the 1900 block of Penfield Street the opportunity to talk to this uh, listening audience. And let me also say thank you for taking the time to even learn just a little bit about me before I got here. Because sometimes when people get elected to positions, the only thing folks know about them is who they are now. But in order to know why I do and have done the things that I do, you got to know about where I started. So thank you for even getting an understanding that that's important. Also have to say, um, ooh, uh, and, uh, you know, congratulations to, you know, your Phi Beta uh, Sigma uh, uh, chapters and anniversary. Um, and you and I share something else in common. Yeah. We are both 72 babies. Okay, all right. I, too, just had a 50th birthday on well, September the, the 9th. And was thinking exactly the same thing you were because yes, some stuff does change when 50 that's comes. Right. That's Right. right. And I was that was a little bit in my mind. Um, but we have, um, you know, in my church, I'm, I'm at E9. Pastor Waller um, is my pastor. Um, we have a song that we sing when I look back over my life. And I think of things over. I can truly say yes, Lord. that Absolutely. I've been blessed because right. I've got a testimony. So That's thank right. you just so very much for having me. Happy belated birthday to you. I did not know that. Yes. Uh, and listen, listen, listen. Even though you did not choose Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, we are happy to have you here. Real talk, we're all in this together, right? Uh, and we're doing you. what we've got to do. Uh, uh, but I, I, I got to say this. I was fascinated by your story. I was fascinated by your upbringing. Why don't you bring our Philly's favorite listeners along uh, and tell them a little bit about, about, about how Sherelle Parker became Sherelle Parker? Well, thank you. So 
for many members of this listening audience, you heard me mention I was born in 1972. My mother was a single teenage mother who got pregnant with me at 15, gave birth to me when she was 16. Now, for anybody who knows anything about the history of the black family, it was not in vogue for a black woman to get pregnant and have a child and not be married out of wedlock in 1972. So it was very common for young black women to be sent with families family members down south, mm-hmm. stay a couple years, and then come back with a little cousin um, who you, your family was going to help raise. I had grandparents who did not force my mother um, to do that. They took care of me. So although my father was not present, my grandmother uh, from Manning, South Carolina, daddy from Accomack County, uh, Virginia, mm-hmm. they took responsibility uh, for me and and raised me basically as um, their own. Wow. And my grandmother was a domestic worker. Um, for those people who are in the listening audience who are young, um, it may mean something different now. I looked at someone's resume recently, and they called themselves an environmental technician. <laughs> uh, but when my grandmother and Aunt Vi and the matriarchs and my family yeah, did it, yeah. it just meant that they cleaned the homes That's of right. wealthy people. And she did that to take care of me, um, got public assistance, um, talking about going to the 3-2 center like a lady named Claudine out of a movie that some people probably have never heard of, you know, would have to go to the window to get $98 um, in cash and colored money in books that were then called food stamps. There were no plastic cards during uh, uh, that time. And I remember what my grandmother felt like, although she was a domestic worker, although she only had an eighth grade education, although she was on public assistance to take care of her her granddaughter. I remember the blue medical card. I remember her dignity, but I also remember how she acted, Pastor, when she came out of there. Some it zapped something out of her, and. If you know anything about anybody who's lived in poverty, the first thing you know is that they don't want to be living in poverty. They don't want to have to need government assistance to take care of themselves. So that's where my passion to close the gap between the haves and the have-nots come from. Not because I read a white paper. Not because someone told me that I should feel empathetic about a you know a particular constituency. It's because I walk that walk and I live that life that I made a commitment that I was going to find a way to give access to the opportunity that I had to other people because so many people in the village helped me. So, wait a second. I got to ask you about this because there was a pivotal point in your life. Uh, You won a competition. So you won a competition that paid you $1,000, gave you a trip to go overseas, but in all of that, you were introduced to somebody who really would play a major role in your life. Tell us a little bit about that. Pastor, I'm telling you, this has never happened to me before. No one has ever—I've never done an interview with anybody who I guess has even thought that my life was significant enough to know this, but you are right. So you imagine my coming through the environment that I am a part of. When my grandmother—when uh, my mother got pregnant, my grandmother and grandfather moved— and um, they were at 7th and Dolphin at that time. They went from Richard Allen Homes, which was Richard Allen Projects. When it was really Richard Allen. When it was really yeah. Richard. Listen, they yeah. talked out. Listen, they talked about scrubbing marble steps. You ever heard of that before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So from Richard Allen to 7th and Dolphin, and then they moved up on uptown like the Jeffersons to Northwest Philadelphia. And when I won that contest you referenced, I met a lady named Augusta Clark. 
Um, I smile today a lot because Augusta Clark told me smiling was healthy. She introduced me to a lady named Marion B. Tasco. I didn't know who any of these women were. I didn't know anything about politics. And you think about being 17 years old, you're on your personal journey to self-discovery. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know anything about who I would become. And they said, little black girl, we see something in you that you, you don't even see in yourself. Right. And they took me under their wings. They let me travel with them. I did community organizing in, in my neighborhood. President Barack Obama, you know, he made the term community organizing popular. But when, when Gussie and Tasco were doing it, they didn't refer to it as community organizing. But I appreciated the, the, the skills and the knowledge of never think that you know what's best for people. You talk to that people and let that leadership come from that people. If you're going to be an ally, be an ally and help, but always talk to the people in the community, um, particularly that in which you say that you want to have an impact in. So everything political, um, and I, you know Marion Tasco. You've been in her her living room, in her dining room. So you know I'm a good student. I've always sat in the front of the class <laughs> through a product of the public school system. Graduate of Lincoln uh, University, first college graduate in my uh, my family, first Ivy League graduate, masters from the university of Pennsylvania, Eisenhower Fellow, American Council of Young Political Leaders Fellow, a Harvard Senior Execs in State and Local Government. Why do I say all of that? Because when you people hear me say I have a testimony, it is not the traditional pathway for someone Standing in the line at the three two center, using food stamps, having a blue medical card, which means it is it is welfare, getting subsidy. Although I remember standing in line to get that cheese, that five pound, uh, you know, strip the of block. cheese, the block the that block. never melted, by the way, that never melted, <laughs> but made the best macaroni and cheese in the whole wide world. When when you know that, and that's why I always share it, Pastor. It's not the traditional pathway to yeah. get to those institutions, and and that's always why. To the listening audience, some people have said to me, and I want you to hear it from my mouth, Sherelle, you know, you've made this big decision about your life. Well, you you shouldn't talk about, you know, th those things that you, your mother being a teenage mother or you know, in welfare or any of that stuff, you know, just talk about school and just no, Pastor. If I You're did that, testify. Pastor, if I did that, I wouldn't be really being my that's authentic right. self. That's and I, that's what I think people want. They don't want a line. They don't want a slogan. They want to know who you are and they want to know what you're going to do. And that's what I'm ready to compete about. You're listening to Philly's Favorite, 100.7 FM, 99.5 HD3. You're in the pastor's office, and today we are in person with former city council majority leader Sherelle Parker. I'm having a ball. And listen, I know we've got other guests that are supposed to come on today, Chris, but you know what? We're going we're going, we're going to let the spirit have its way. Is that all right? All right. So now now, now let me let me jump back. All right. You you, you, you served uh, with Marion Tasco. You were part of her staff, uh, and then you went into the State House of Pennsylvania where you served for 10 years. Uh, I'm not going to stay there long because I want to get to what you want to do for Philly, but I want our listeners to understand your background. You came out of the State House and then you came back, and you, you won Marion's seat uh, in Philadelphia City Council. Okay, let's start there. You've been there since 2015. It is 2022. You and your colleagues just led us through a worldwide pandemic. Yes. You and your colleagues worked together 
to help bring this city out of a situation that none of us have ever seen before. And I've got to believe with all of the issues that I would say are the are the repercussions of a pandemic, there's still a lot of work to do in council. Why now? Why today? Why at this time? Well, first, let me state for the record um, that I have a great deal of respect for all of my colleagues in council, those who are still there and uh, those who, like me, have resigned uh, to declare uh, their future intentions of uh, leading Philadelphia. Um, But I will tell you, for me, um, it exactly what you just described when you went through the timeline of my life. Philadelphia is at a crossroads. We're in uh, what I would call crisis mode right now. And some people will see the, the glass half full and some half empty. But for me, I think out of crisis comes great opportunity. But you have to be willing to have a bold vision, bold ideas, and a very tangible way to get it done. You know, 100.7 FM family, there is something that really gets to my stomach, and that is when I hear people who become what I call expert AOPs, Pastor, they are expert articulators of the problem. They can tell you about poverty. They can tell you about public safety. They can tell you about all of the problems in the world. And you say, well, thank you for being an expert articulating our problems. Now tell me what solutions have you proffered, especially when you had an opportunity to sit at the table. What did you do with what you had when you were there? was a staffer for Marion Tasco interning. I worked to develop uh, some, and I was a senior staffer when I left, one of the toughest anti-predatory lending uh, pieces of legislation in the nation. We helped to define it. When I get to the house where I went kicking and screaming, where I did not want to go, I wanted to stay in comfort. She sort of kicked me out and said, you can do it. This is an opportunity uh, to learn. Dwight Evans said, go learn how to be a legislator in Harrisburg. I went. We developed recurring revenue for the school district of Philadelphia. You may remember it. Dr. Height says if we don't get new revenue, school district won't open in September. I was chair of the Philadelphia delegation. I didn't have the luxury of using a bullhorn. 102 was the number. That's how many votes we needed to get something passed out of the uh, state house. I didn't have the luxury of going to my colleagues, Republicans or conservative Democrats, to say, you've got to do this because this is what's in the best interest of the city. And if you don't, you know, you're just a big bad man or a big bad woman. I had to do things the hard way. I had to learn how to, what I call is GTY, one of the most important books of my life I ever read. It's called Getting to Yes. And that meant... I had to go sit down with people who I agreed to disagree with on many occasions to hammer out of hammer out a compromise to deliver for the city of Philadelphia. So you'll remember AVI. Michael Nutt is the mayor. President Barack Obama called it the worst economic recession since the Great Depression. And we moved to AVI and people saw their property taxes quadruple, uh, you know, triple. And we had to figure out a way to get them support that they needed getting around something. I'm a little technical called the uniformity clause. We helped to get the enabling authority for loop. 
the long-term owner-occupant plan. When you remember those pictures the Enquirer printed, when they showed all of the houses that were delinquent and paying taxes in the city, but then they showed the big fancy houses on the main line with the swimming pools, that the people who owned those houses where they weren't paying taxes, they lived there, but they didn't care because they just owned here. They lived somewhere else. Now we have the authority to tax those main line properties when they don't pay their delinquent taxes here in Philadelphia. We codify the ability to pay your property taxes in installments. Why did I know that was important? Because Sherelle Parker knew how important layaway was. See, if you don't understand layaway, you don't know what payment arrangements mean. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I use that as an example, Pastor, to say, Look at those things done that was State House and that was when I was a staffer for Tesco. But then you're right. I get to city council. First thing people say to me, and it, it bothers me because my district borders Sheltonham Avenue. You cross the street, you're in Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. Come to the other side. Why do I have to go down Easton Road, you know, and around the Keswick Theater and see these beautiful trees lit? And look, it's not even Christmas. Right. All of these nice businesses with these beautiful storefront signs, real small town feel. And then you cross Sheltonham Avenue and come down my little Olgans Avenue, my little Wadsworth for Stenton, Vernon Road, and you say, well, what in the world is going on here? What did we do? Pastor, solutions. It's dirty. We established something called PHL Taking Care of Business. We had to make it somebody's job to clean our commercial quarters, hire people, particularly those who um, were nonviolent ex-offenders, give them access to an entry level where they could learn, earn 15 to 20 dollars an hour, get soft skills training, build a resume, learn how to use a computer, get some OSHA training that they could take elsewhere. But give them a reason to have pride and dignity. That's what gives you self-sufficiency when you get a chance to learn skills and to earn in a way that allows you to provide for yourself. So remember, Philadelphia's dirty. We need a way to clean it up. Sherelle, people need jobs and we need this done. I developed this program as a pilot. It is now citywide in the city of Philadelphia. And when we talk about my next phase, we're going to talk about how we're going to scale this up uh, even more. We're going through in council, Pastor. Worked working on the toughest vote. Uh, this was the beverage tax vote where we were talking about pre-K, creating pre-K free for three and four year olds and talking about how we can build parks, rec centers, libraries and improve them in the city. I got so sick and tired of hearing people particularly those because you know a whole lot of people become experts in what poor people, particularly black and brown people, need when they, they need to use it. Um, talking about them as consumers. They're going to be the ones paying the tax because black and brown people are the ones drinking the soda. I said, why are you not talking about black and brown people as business owners? We're in my neighborhood where I grew up, every corner store in my neighborhood was owned by somebody who lived there or either they owned property there, but they were of that community. We need to find a way to give our small business owners access to technical skills, accounting skills, legal skills and assistance to help them grow businesses. And if I could just interrupt real mm-hmm, quick, mm-hmm. one of the things that was un- Uncovered during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, when all of that federal money became available and all of the state grants became available, was that businesses that were black and brown were sorely 
under under resourced in those areas, uh, being able to handle their accounting, looking at their books, and being able to produce the right reports in order to get approved uh, uh, for these money. So what you found is a lot of businesses that have folk that look like me and you were passed over for that free money, and nobody gave them grace. Talk to me a little bit about that because I got to tell you that was a that was glaring during the pandemic. What it said is, and I want to, again, I want to give the 100.7 FM family just some perspective. I am a really good cook because I was raised by my grandmother. So I make the best salmon filet, right? So Sherelle Parker makes good salmon filet. Everybody loves to eat my salmon filet. And so I'm really good with selling the salmon filet. But, Pastor, I'm not good with the accounting. I'm not I'm not with, with the bookkeeping right. that you just referenced. Uh, I'm not good with the legal documents I need to file to make sure, um, you know, all of the documents that I need to get the business up and running uh, is going. And some others who are fortunate enough to inherit a business from uh, a family or they just get access to capital because they have been privileged and or fortunate. Those backroom technical skills are not something that um, they need to be taught about because they have somebody on retainer, got an uncle, cousin, friend they can call, who's an accountant, who's an architect, you know, who's in construction. So we established this program to help people because that that backroom technical assistance is important. It's do or die. It will make or break, you know, businesses. And during the pandemic, you're right. I remember the PPP uh, loans. That's why we established. And kudos to the city of Philadelphia, because we in our commerce department stood up the first micro small loan program solely funded by the city during that time for small businesses um, in neighborhoods across the city. We did extremely well. We had some hiccups, but I was proud that we stood up our program. But we saw the need to get that money to those businesses because the feds passed this, you know, the package and we have the PPP loans, but our folks aren't getting them. That's right. You don't have to worry about that. And I know we're going to get to the future, but if Sherelle Parker has the opportunity to lead this city because my past experience, my academic experience and my know-how and real life lived experience, you don't have to worry about those small businesses uh, getting left behind. You don't have to worry about it being somebody's job to make sure your neighborhood is clean. And you're not going to have to worry about, Pastor, something. And I want to say this to you because all of a sudden, Lots of people have read that public safety is, quote unquote, polling at, at, at number one here as we talk about the future of Philadelphia. I am proud that if you check every transcript since I've been a member of city council, even in the state house, public safety has always been one of my immediate priorities. Let's, 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 let's go there. Let's go there. Uh, I'm in Frankfurt, uh, as you can clearly see. I love this community. Um, I grew up in... Abington. Okay, I'm a galloping ghost. But we lived in Abington and we traveled here. My gosh, my dad was the pastor of this church for 41 years. Uh, we probably were here four or five days a week. Wow. Uh, I went to church in a day where the kids didn't have an option, mm-hmm. right? If, if the car started and we were on our way to church, you got in, right? So, 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 so I really feel like I grew up here. Mm-hmm. This neighborhood has always been hot. All right. It's always been hot. There's always been gun violence. But I've got to share with you that in the last few years, 
it feels like things have gotten worse. And I've had the police commissioner on the show. I've had the mayor on the show. We've all had great conversations. But I will ask you the same thing that I asked them. Why is it that we can't, and this is just a crazy idea from me, Mm -hmm. right? Why is it that we can't figure out how to recruit police officers from the neighborhoods that 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 they come from. All right, my my question may be convoluted, but let me let me let me let me help you figure out what I'm saying here. Every time I drive into the neighborhood, I see a car parked down the street here. I see a police car parked there. I'll see one parked across the street. I'll see what. I, but guess what I see? They're all sitting in their cars. They don't want to get out of their car. You know why? Because they want to get home tonight. They're scared. But if you recruited JoJo from the neighborhood who knows these people, who grew up with these people, then maybe community policing will become more than just a thought in somebody's head, and it can become reality. How do we accomplish that in your administration? Because I'm tired of all the talk, and I'm tired of folks sitting in their doggone cars while folk are getting shot. Ooh, Pastor, um, mm. when there were people shouting that we needed to defund the police, number one, I knew that sentiment was antithetical to what I was hearing in neighborhoods. In the district that I represented, people weren't saying that. They were saying where to beat officers and the bike patrol. Where are the officers walking on the commercial quarters and in our neighborhoods who know the people that they are sworn to protect and serve, that they're building relationships with, not they only see when they're simply responding to a 911 crisis, but who you actually know somebody's name. And before a crisis occurs, somebody trusts you enough to call you because they know you. And maybe you can get some intelligence to ward off a crisis or crime before it even occurs. So I introduced the Philadelphia Neighborhood Safety and Community Policing Plan that called for doing exactly what you just described. And one of the things that people talked about was, well, you know, and this is nationwide. Let's be real clear. There is a barrier right now. Being a police officer is not an attractive profession the way it was when you and I, you know, were, were, were growing up. Um, we, but I was unapologetic about advocating for us to have more Philadelphians become police officers in the city of Philadelphia. However, when we recognized that it was a national crisis in recruitment, I said, hold it. We already have a waiver process. So whenever the, the administration, the mayor, the leader of the city says we have a crisis, we can't meet this requirement of hiring Philadelphians, they have the ability to get a waiver from our Civil Service Commission. And we said that that is something that should be done. So we talked about the waiver. We talked about the hiring of 300 more community policing officers and make community policing in neighborhoods across the, the city standard operating procedure, Pastor. I'm not talking about because you just got a hookup. And I hear what you're describing for me here in Frankfurt, and I want to just put that over here for a second. But community policing is proactive. It's not crisis response uh, oriented. So I wanted that as our foundation. Now, let's just 
just talk about what the Enquirer referred to as the 57 blocks or they talked about uh, uh, Frankfurt. Let me say this to you. When I introduce in detail the plan for dealing with neighborhoods that have been most significantly impacted by gun violence, by this opioid crisis, and by the trauma of it. But I, you know, I bought my house here because I chose to. And, you know, my children, in order to walk to school, have to walk over needles. Or if I want to get to the corner store, I, I should hope that somebody wants to own a business in this neighborhood because people don't want to open up businesses uh, uh, here because they, too, are afraid. I would argue to you that we need an intergovernmental response and something similar to what we would call a Marshall Plan, Marshall Plan like we used in the past in our nation's history, but it will be the Philadelphia Safety Plan, and it will include, uh, without giving too many details before I get my head chopped off, (laughs) it will include aspects of federal, state, and local government. And I'm not talking about people coming in to occupy our neighborhoods. That's not what I'm talking about. But guess what? The people in these neighborhoods deserve to be safe. They should not, especially when they don't have a choice to leave. See, some people can pick up and go. You know, you know, if they wanted to. But for people who can't, they deserve the same quality of life that you heard me describe that got my blood boiling when I went down Eastern Road and, and near the Keswick and wanted to know why my neighborhood doesn't doesn't look like this. And, and my answer to addressing the crisis, again, public safety or the opioid crisis, I want the 100.7 FM family Philly's favor to know. It's not going to be safe injection sites. See, when you grow up around addiction and you've seen it in your community, I grew up at a time in that stable blue collar West Oak Lane neighborhood. And it was stable in the 80s when crack cocaine came. It destroyed uh, my community. You saw families that were once stable taken apart and, and but we found a way to, to to make it through just like you established this station in the midst of a crisis the pandemic but the answer pastor it wasn't a safe crack house nobody offered a safe crack house in the 1980s in our neighborhood when black and brown people in particular were being significantly impacted by this but when people are uh, sick and, and it is a public health crisis because of addiction they need long-term treatment and and long-term care, and they need long-term housing. How do we think regionally? Now, Pastor, I want you to watch it. I'm probably not supposed to say this because this is a part of the plan that I'm going to be uh, introducing. So if you hear it from somebody else, because I haven't heard it from somebody else, you say, oh, huh, Sherelle said that on Philly's <laughs> favor. Why haven't we seen an intergovernmental request? Think about this. We know that many of the people coming to Frankfurt, coming in Kensington, they're not Philadelphians. Nowhere, nowhere from close. Pastor, they're mainliners, That's right. right? And they come from other states. Come down with their nice cars, come to the corner, do what they do, and leave. And leave, and then some get so, you know, addicted that they end up, you know, living and, and, and becoming, you know, residents of our streets. Pastor, once, while I'm working so hard to elect Josh Shapiro and John, Josh Shapiro, governor of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, to the U.S. Senate, but we need our governor. We need our, our, our U.S. senators, our Congress people, our House and state Senate members and local leaders to come together 
and we then have to get the regional leaders. I want Montco. I want Bucks. I want Chester and Delco coming together to say, how can we find a way to come together to fix this problem? And then bring in the public se- sector and private sector and some of the best health and safety advocates we have. That's what I've done all of my life. Bring people together who don't all automatically agree, but that's how we come up with solutions to complex problems. And don't talk about it. I'm a, that when you hear heard me and you said Sherelle, she brought all this stuff in the studio when she came with her. I did, Pastor, because while I'm communicating with you and the listening audience, I wanted you to see that I'm not just talking. That this is what I've done. Nope, this you. is why people don't have hope anymore. She came and gave us great speech, but tell me what her district looks like. What do the recreation centers in her look, district look like? What do the commercial quarters look like? What does she do for her people when she had the opportunity to do it? So, so listen. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier about uh, getting the yes. Uh, I'm a lifelong salesperson. Uh, so one of the things that I've learned is that when you're in a sales meeting and you've gone over your time, that you've got to stop and ask the potential client, uh, can I just go a little bit further because we've reached our limit. I promised you all 30 minutes, and we're, we're, we're over 30 minutes. Chris is fielding calls over here from our other guests, but 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 this is important to Philadelphia. Uh, no, 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 this is important. So I just want to make sure you all are all right. I want to make sure you're all right. All right, he, he, listen. All right, so 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 we're going to keep going, and, and we'll reschedule, folks. I want our listeners to hear this, this interview. And, and I got to say this, and I don't take sides and stuff, but – She's the only one that came in in person, y'all. I just want you to know that. She's the only one that's in the studio. So, so, so anyway, let, let, let's, let's move forward. Um, violence, we've talked about it. Gun violence uh, continues to grow at an alarming rate in our city. Um, <laughs> you know, I've talked to many members of council uh, about this issue. Uh, and I want to, because I want to move and talk about schools in a second, so I don't want to, I want to kind of just wrap this piece up, but how do we get these guns off of our streets? Intergovernmental uh, response, every branch of government included. But let me be very clear. If the people of our city elect me to be the mayor and the leader of our city, we will have zero tolerance for the sense of lawlessness that is prevailing in the city of Philadelphia. Anyone who does not think that the, that people who visit here, live here, own a business here, who we visitors, who we want to travel here, they don't feel safe in our city and they have every right to. The, the the police presence, proactive in community policing is significant, but we also have to make sure that we, our police department now, they need the best training in the world for the record. Zero tolerance for any misuse and or abuse of authority and doing what you're sworn and protected to serve to do. But, Pastor, we cannot be afraid. And I will tell you this, as I've talked to people who've retired and people who are still on, um, and I want to give the context of those three cars that you described to me that are there and you see people sitting in them. When you've been doing it right, 
kind of like pastors, right? I'm, I can think of a hundred of you, just like elected officials of hundred of us that work hard and give it your, your everything. And you can also name some pastors you know who haven't always done the right thing. And I can think of elected officials who haven't always done the right thing. But when you are doing the best you can at what you have and you have leadership that will not stand up and say they are sworn to protect and serve us. I'm going to make sure that they have the best training. I'm going to make sure that they have body cameras when they're on our streets to make sure they are doing their jobs right. And I'm going to make sure that I invest the dollars we need to invest to make public safety our number one priority in the city of Philadelphia. And that's what I'm going to do, Pastor, if I'm elected mayor of the city. And although I release my neighborhood safety and community policing plan, which is the most comprehensive that you've heard. And I did this not when I became a mayoral candidate. I introduced this plan as a member of city council when people told me that they feared for my political future, for me to step out on a limb and call for community policing with 300 additional officers on the street. I said, thank you for your advice, but you don't know Sherelle Parker's walk. And so it's a comprehensive plan, quality of life, quality of safety. And then you heard me talk about family and Tasco and Gussie. But I'm also a product of the village. How did I win that contest? A white English teacher named Jeanette Jimenez told me to write a story about my life when I lost my mother and my grandmother. So my teachers were there. I'm an Oak Lane Wildcat. While I I wear crimson and cream, I share your blue and white because I'm an Oak Lane Wildcat from Simon's Recreation Center in West Oak Lane. I'm a Philadelphia Flame. Though people who were involved in those little leagues and, and, and workforce development, connecting our people to jobs and the training that they need, that's part of our human infrastructure. And if I'm elected to lead, investing in our human in- infrastructure is going to be significant to helping us solve this problem. Let's, uh, let's, let's close out this piece of the interview talking about something that's critical, and that's our future. Um, our young people. And, and young people are a major part of my ministry. They lost the last couple of years uh, with uh, virtual learning, with the gaps in some communities relative to being able to connect to the Internet and be able to do their work, to even have a place in their home where they could actually do work. Um, our young people suffered through this pandemic. Uh, and then, too, as we as we... Look at our schools and look at the age of these buildings. You know, our children are going to school in buildings that really, in some cases, environmentally aren't safe for them. Yeah. I want you to talk to me about, you've talked about investing in safe streets and, 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 and in, in black and brown businesses and businesses uh, uh, throughout the city, all of that. But how do we invest in our future? and make their educational experience robust and ultimately bring more young people to the table that you're sitting at right now? Uh, Philly's favor, um, I just want to make sure that before we leave, you have it succinctly for me. And my platform and my candidacy for mayor of the city of Philadelphia, I am talking about a safer and a cleaner city with economic opportunity for all. And you can't do that without um, a class A educational system. Sherelle, how do you how do you get there? Um, I want to go back to those antiquated and outdated school buildings that you talked about whenever we talked about sort of uh, remediating, you know, lead or asbestos 
in those old buildings, you know, extremely frustrated. Yes, we've had to patch up and fix up. Philadelphia understands that from time to time. But you, when I think about Abington and I think about the county, you know, I want to blow just most of them up and say, why don't we have what we need to rebuild? They're not, uh, you know, structured to be technologically efficient, uh, environmentally um, efficient, green efficient. So I agree with you a thousand and one percent and think again that that intergovernmental approach in terms of building new, I'm talking about now the physical buildings, right? We need that. That's that's plan con funding in in Harrisburg. Can can I just interrupt real quick? Here's what blows my mind. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm driving down the street in May, Mm -hmm. right? And I see, and it's about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I see kids going home. And so I call one of my principal friends and I'm like, what's going on? Why why, why are the kids out in the street? He said, we're shutting down the buildings because there's no air conditioning. Mm -hmm. Come on. This is Philadelphia. It's 2022. How are we not taking care of issues like that? When I grew up, there wasn't no letting out of school because it got hot. Mm -hmm. Help me. See, um, again, you got to remember we're 72 babies and so... Uh, if we didn't get out because we were hot. And so I also don't want to be like, you know, others. While I have to acknowledge that it is factually true, it is the Commonwealth's responsibility. I served there for 10 years to ensure that it is funding uh, public education across the Commonwealth, which means including Philadelphia, that will provide a thorough and efficient public education for all of our residents. And it has been derelict uh, in its duty. And as a matter of fact, it has cut funding. However, Philadelphia, I don't want you to think that that's the answer that I am going to rely on. It's the leader's responsibility to bring everybody you can get a nickel from together to say, here's the capital program for the school district of Philadelphia. Here's the long-term plan um, because we want to rebuild all of these schools. We know we can't get it all done in a year. We can't get it all done in in two years. But how do we find a way to infuse dollars? And let's, let's become creative. How many times have have you um, heard about these millionaires and billionaires talking about they're going to space and you say to yourself, Lord, oh, how I wish, you know, I could have five minutes with you to, to try to encourage you to get to yes for me, with me and make an investment outside of government in our great city of Philadelphia. Who's been a cheerleader uh, for our city to go on a road that way to say, hey, Philadelphia's worth it. Help her reach her potential. She's not there. We need to have a whole lot of that. But Pastor, the last thing I want to say about this, particularly with public education, again, when I unveil this, some people are going to say, you know, they're not going to agree, right? But I was reading some lead- some leadership's tips about two weeks ago from Colin Powell, and he said, if that's the way you govern, um, you know, okay, you will always be mediocre. And I thank God that that's not my spirit, which is why I've always proactively pursued developing solutions to complex issues. We have off in the summers. And I was talking to a friend of mine. And I said, you know, when the school district of Philadelphia was established, we were an agrarian society, right. right? We got off in the summers That's because right. the students, the children had to go help work. The family. They had to go home and help the family. They went to go home and work the farms. Pastor, 21st century global economy. Listen, not competing with people just in Pennsylvania, the U.S., where our, our students will compete with folks across the globe, especially since this pandemic, when you can get the freedom to work from your own private private space using this advancement in technology. And everybody's guess what? 
everybody's not going, you know, to, to the Hamptons for the summer. Everybody's not going to the shore for the summer. So how about we find a way to, and again, I can't give too many details because we're going to unveil it. I will just say that those special enhancement courses like workforce development, ensuring that our kids are being trained for industries that are growing in our city, their biotech is growing in our city. You want to hear something painful? Listen to one of the industry leaders say, we're growing and we need X number of new employees, but we can't find them here in the city of Philadelphia with all of our world-class institutions of higher learning here, Community College of Philadelphia, our school district of Philadelphia. Why are we not training our people, our students, directly for those industries that are growing and the industries that we need the most. Affordable housing. We need to build affordable housing. We need housing preservation. That sounds like a match made in heaven to me. Young people who need access to a skill that will allow you to live a good life. Listen, I went to Lincoln and Penn. I'll be paying student loans for the rest of my life. But I know a plumber and an electrician and a carpenter, okay, who, who won't have to worry about that kind of debt because he didn't, they didn't take the long route uh, that I took. I'm saying it's got to be comprehensive, uh, Pastor, but you need a leader to bring it together. And I don't think that I've seen um, the style of leadership. And I won't do that either. I won't critique because some people are going to make their bones that way. I've watched them and that sort of makes me go because if you grow up where I grow up and the only way you could make a bone is that you got to put somebody else down in order to lift your own self up. That's not credibility to me. So I will just say that we have had leaders with whom our leadership styles different. And if the people of the city of Philadelphia give Sherelle Parker an opportunity to govern, we're going to do things differently. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, 99.5 HD3. We are about to wrap up an interview with the former majority leader of the City Council of Philadelphia, Sherelle Parker. Wow. Wow. Chris is over there. He's exasperated. This has been outstanding. Here's what I, here's what I want you to do as we close this interview. I want you to do two things. Um, your colleagues have been in on the show. Alan Dome. Derek Green, Maria Quinones Sanchez, and now you. I'm sure we'll talk to uh, everybody. Thanks. This may not be the case, but I'm sure eventually we'll talk to Jeff Brown and some of the others who haven't yet put their hat in the ring. But I mean, every picture you see him with a, uh, <laughs> you see him with black church leaders and everybody else. So, so uh, you know, uh, we 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 go we gonna have everybody at the table. But um, but I want you to tell me. And be succinct, because because I want you to tell me why you and not them, when all of you have worked together uh, and been colleagues, and when Philadelphia has been democratically controlled uh, forever, why you? Okay, I want you to tell me that. And then I want you to tell me how the faith-based community plays into your plan. And, and, and I'm loading up the questions because I know we got to end. So I want to put it all together. Let me tell you why I asked that question. I'm in a city, an area, a community where we desperately need resources. I've attempted to buy a building uh, called the Garset Center over across the bridge. Couldn't get anybody to fund it, right? Um, I've attempted to buy houses where I could put former addicts, you know, and unless I did it myself, 
couldn't get any, couldn't get any. I've applied for the city funding. We've applied for the grants. And a lot of what we hear is because, you know, a lot of these churches were started in people's houses and not necessarily set up properly uh, with the state. And, and you only find that out when you really go to try to get that money. I'm now in the process of buying a building. When you leave the community, you're going to pass a building right down here at the corner, an old red church. It's been here since for 146 years. I'm in the process of buying that building and the lot across the street where we can build three houses. And I've I've personally now backed it so I can do it because what I've realized about a lot of politicians and a lot, a lot of stuff, unless they already see the wheel moving, they ain't jumping on board to help you get there, no matter how desperate the situation is. So I want to know, because there are a lot of pastors around in this city, just like me, who are in neighborhoods where they desperately need to increase their outreach to save lives. How does the faith-based community benefit from a Parker administration? So one, why you and not your colleagues? Two, how does faith-based play into your plan? And how do they access resources? And then we're going to go ahead and end this interview. Pastor, if it's okay, can I take the faith-based one first? Sure. One of the things you heard me mention, Pastor, was the need to invest in the human infrastructure. When I think about the PALS, the Little Leagues, uh, and all of those organizations we had access to, the faith-paced community, no matter what it is, is a part of our human infrastructure. And you will be an essential part of the Parker administration, um, not as an aside, but as a faith-based office in the city of Philadelphia, directly reporting to the administration on how we're employing the use, not just in attempting to help you with resources to grow, but you want to you want you want to get a Sherelle Parker upset? Let me see your beautiful edifice closed when we need after-school programs in a particular neighborhood. Closed when we need your open late at night because sometimes we need to transform that gym or that community room you have or we need to help to facilitate you um, getting access to some vacant city land in order uh, to build where we should be plugging you in public sector private sector but do you don't get that kind of innovative thinking uh, uh, pastor if you're if people are one just looking at government thinking government can do it all, or just looking at faith-based, thinking you should have to do it on your own, but recognizing exactly what you just said. You described what we described with small businesses. Remember when you talked about those churches being funded and where they were funded? All they knew is that they needed to save souls, in my instance, because I'm Baptist and we needed to get Christ, right. right? And so if we were established in the house, maybe we did not have a lawyer and an accountant and all of the people on board that we needed. Well, imagine if the, those same technical resources that we made available free that comes from power up your business, imagine by but but making sure we walk that fine line in the separation between church church and state because there's a super duper fine line but that's when I get lawyers in the room and this is a, a Sherelle Parker act this is where I want to go don't tell me why I can't do it the way I propose this is the outcome I want figure out a way figure to get out. me get me where because the, ex right. the excuse with faith based 
they're always going to use that line. So that that is how it will be an, a formal and official part of a Parker administration. And uh, we will bring both public and private sector together to figure figure out the very specific and unique role. And guess what? The faith based community needs a place, position and person and office in the city that when it has a challenge, it can call and get an answer. We've seen that in the past. Again, this is what I mean. This is not criticizing anybody else. It's about priority and what your vision is. For me, that would be essential. The next, why you Sherelle Parker? One, because of my lived life experience. Um, I have lived the life that is closest to the pain that many of the people in our communities are feeling right now, but I have also lived the life that have put me in a position, a seat at the table to help develop tangible solutions to problems, complex problems facing neighborhoods and people in our city. And I've successfully done that. And my my experience, my, my intergovernmental experience, Pastor, is unmatched by anyone who is talking about being in this race, having to had to connect the federal government, the state government, and the local government with the private sector together. I put my record up against anyone as it relates to that. Parker administration, a safer and a cleaner Philadelphia with access to economic opportunity for all. And I want to close uh, Philly's favor 100.7 FM family by saying this to you. Somebody's sitting at home and they're saying, wow, I can feel the passion. I can hear the passion in her voice. You may even hear people complain that, you know, she she just gets so emotional about because you hear that about women. When people talk about women, they say that all the time. She gets so emotional about this work if you were in the start of this interview when pastor and I first started talking and you heard about my upbringing and my single teenage mother and dad not being there and my grandparents raising me and being on welfare that's why I'm passionate about it when you hear me talk about my my academic credentials and the tables I had an opportunity to sit at that's why this is personal to me that's why I need to close the gap between the, the, the haves and the have nots because that opportunity was afforded to me and I believe it and I know it can be done because it's been demonstrated. And that's my testimony. The doors of the church are open. Uh, if there's one by letter candidate for baptism or on your Parker experience. <laughs> Listen, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. Uh, can you just give your social media tag so that our listeners uh, can make sure that they find out more information? Now, Pastor, I'm going to give you the website. But here... Philly's favorite. This is where I make a confession. If there's one area where you can help me, you can help encourage Sherelle Parker to do the social media thing just a little bit more. <laughs> so if anybody wants to volunteer, I want you to send me a message through my website, which is www.sherelleparker.com. That's C-H-E-R-E-L-L-E, Parker, P-A-R-K-E-R. That's one word, dot com. So if, listen, if, if, if you felt something or heard something that you agreed with today and you want to make it work, I really do want you to email 
email me and come and volunteer with me. Come and work with me. Some of the folks who uh, I will be competing with to be your mayor. And I have to say this. My name is Sherelle Parker. I'm a Democratic candidate for mayor of the city of Philadelphia. I'm going to do everything in my power to earn your vote and earn your support. I'm not going to do it by just slogans. I'm not going to do it with just commercials. But I'm going to do it by telling you what I've de- telling you what I've done in the past and hoping that you will join me as my partner in helping us do it for our entire city in the future. Thank you so much. Sherelle Parker, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. And listen, I know we had some other guests scheduled for today. We'll get to them next week or the week after. But Thank you. This has been an awesome conversation. Don't you even apologize. Our listeners have been blessed by hearing your platform. Hey, everybody, we'll talk to you next week. And until we talk to you again, stay with the Lord, because that's the only place you need to be. The state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Yeah.